Welcome to the first episode of Acquired. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we're your hosts. We've uh, we've recorded a pilot before this, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable letting that see the light of day. Um, so this is our, our, our first real episode for the world to hear. Um, we're going to start with a little background on ourselves. We'll talk about what the point of this podcast is, and then we'll get into the uh, nuts and bolts of the first episode. Um, so I guess I'll start. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs here in Seattle, where we come up with companies and uh, start them, prototype them, see if they work, and spin them out. I'm David. Uh, I'm a principal here at Madrona Venture Group. We're an early stage venture capital firm in Seattle. We invest in technology startups that uh, hopefully one day go on to be an acquirer or be an acquiree. Yeah. So it's funny. This this is um this is podcast was uh, something David and I were were thinking up while um, we were out drinking and as all good podcasts start. <laughs> and it, we kind of came to the conclusion of like, all right, let's try and make a list of companies that have been acquired where it was actually beneficial for the acquirer. And I, I think that there's um, so many examples of of the opposite of like, boy, that was a huge write down. That was embarrassing. Or uh, my God, that was an interesting valuation for someone that had no revenue. We'll see if it ever pans out. And I think that um, it's it's worth going back and highlighting really interesting tech companies that um, were acquired and ended up being kind of a one plus one equals three situation where um, it was it was actually a good investment in the future. Agree, and uh, also interesting. Perhaps what could companies operating either as startups or independently take from why or why not? those companies worked with that should we hop into our first episode i think we should so the company that we have chosen as the uh the acquiree is pixar and the company that that obviously acquired pixar was disney in 2006 and this isn't a typical um you know straight obvious technology acquisition there's there's a lot more to this uh, the the storytelling aspect and the entertainment media production it's really really not a, a straight tech company when you look at it um, and uh, I think that's kind of what's going to make this um, a really interesting first episode totally and uh, Ben and I were chatting about this before we started recording um, all of that is true and yet I think you could view Pixar as like the first example of software eating the world so we'll get more <laughs> into it. Um, so we're going to break this uh, this episode and potentially all future episodes into a couple sections. So first, we're going to talk about the acquisition history and the facts. Uh, then Ben and I are each going to put uh, the acquisition into a category. Uh, what do we think was kind of the, the key piece of it and why uh, the, the rationale behind why the acquiring company purchased the uh, this, this acquisition target? Um, then we're going to talk about what might have happened had history been different? What if this acquisition hadn't gone through? And finally, we're going to assign each acquisition a grade. So let's start with the history and the facts. So January 2006, Pixar is a publicly traded company. Disney announces that they are acquiring it for $7.4 billion, estimated roughly 45 times uh, estimated Pixar earnings for that year. Um, and... Uh, uh, Disney and obviously Pixar changed forever since. And and famously, that is the day that Steve Jobs became the largest single shareholder of um, of Disney stock, which yep. Lorene Powell Jobs still uh, 
still holds as part of the estate. Led to a long uh, relationship between Disney content and Apple technology products. Yeah, super um, interesting. That's probably outside the bounds of this this episode. But one thing we were planning for this episode, we didn't even think about is kind of ancillary benefits there of cooperation between Apple and Disney and um, revenue created for both companies. Totally. And uh, so as we were, we were researching kind of the background and, and, and history here, one stat that, that, that jumped out to me that I thought was just so cool, especially since we're focusing on technology acquisitions in this podcast, um, Pixar uh, IPO'd in 1995. You know what else IPO'd in 1995? Netscape. Which do you think was the bigger IPO? Well, you're you're pausing the question, so I'm gonna go Netscape. You would be wrong. Really? Pixar was the largest IPO of nineteen ninety five. Bigger than Netscape. Wow. That's not one that the history books often refer to. And uh I think if I'm getting if my memory's right, also ended up being the larger acquisition than Netscape. Pixar being seven point four billion and I think Netscape was I could be wrong here, but around $3 billion-ish. Is that to AOL? I think so. Hmm. I, in the future, when there's actually people that listen to this podcast, we could totally have a chat room, and they could be correcting us in real time. This could be great. But um, since David and I are both holding microphones and I haven't ordered stands yet, we'll, we'll leave the Googling to our fair readers. Um, but I thought that was just totally cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, here's this technology company being bought by a media company, much like, um, much like Netscape was bought by AOL. Uh, which was then merged with Time Warner, um, and uh, and 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 here is this technology company that ends up being both the largest IPO in this banner year, and one of the most important acquisitions uh, of all time. Hmm. Um, so uh, after the acquisition in two thousand six, uh, Disney uh, and Pixar, er, Disney Pixar, as it was rebranded has uh since then released several films um i believe uh let's see the list is cars later in 2006 ratatouille wally up toy story 3 cars 2 brave (laughs) (laughs) monsters university and inside out um just going on box office stats alone so if you take worldwide box office for those films and subtract out production budgets for those films. Now, that's not the total story on profits. You know, of course, there is uh, both on the revenue side, additional revenue from merchandise, from DVD sales, from streaming, and especially as part of Disney theme parks. Theme parks. Um, and then there's additional costs, both in in the, the cogs for those items, but also in uh, marketing costs, uh, both for the film and otherwise. But just going with the numbers that we have um, publicly available, uh, those films since the acquisition have made just about seven and a half billion dollars in revenue uh, and about four and a half billion dollars of profit. So 10 years later, here we are, four and a half billion dollars of profit uh, based on a seven point four billion dollar acquisition price. It's kind of interesting. I mean, there's a, tons and tons of other ancillary benefits aside, but um you know, we could have a 15, they're, 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 the pace of their profits per film is accelerating. So we could have a 15-year payback period on the uh, on the acquisition. And I think, um, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but just kind of looking at the spot that Disney was in, the spot that Pixar was in, if you could go to, uh, 
you know, Disney exec at the time and say, you know, it's it's going to be 15 years before you really start seeing, um, you know, profits on top of this acquisition. But look at look at what Disney has been historically the powerhouse of incredible animation and sort of that the source of magic for children and adults alike and kind of what happened to that since Toy Story 1. I mean, Toy, uh, Pixar had the monopoly on magic and, and for creating the most successful, incredible films in, in animation. And I think that, you know, is, is Disney sort of reacquiring its roots? And, mm-hmm. and to me, um, you know, that, that the 15-year price tag for that isn't, isn't too bad. Totally. And, uh, and I think this, would be, you know, this is a great segue into the next section of our episode, which is, um, you know, how would you categorize this acquisition? You know, and, and some of the categories that we'd identified are, is this about people? Is this about technology? Is this a product that the acquirer is buying, a business line, or is it something else? Yeah. It's funny. It, there's certainly a people element, but it's not like they were repurposing these people on something. I think in a people acquisition, you typically talk about, you know, they wanted the really smart people to go to work on existing products with existing customers. That's certainly not the case, um, except with one and one specific person we can call out and probably other people we don't know about in the organization. Um, technology, there's something there, but, you know, Pixar, Pixar started by being a pure technology company and not having any any um, animated films out there, they were just producing uh, the Pixar computer with RenderMan software on it for the ability for, for Lucasfilm and then for, for others to um, do 3D animation. And that's... And, 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 and I think this is, you know, before we render judgment on what category we'd put this acquisition into, I think that's a really important point that it's worth discussing. Like, Pixar is a technology company. Um and, you know, it was created as a division within Lucasfilm. There's a long history, even going back prior to Lucasfilm, but but it really came together as an organization there to solve problems, you know, within Lucasfilm and be a technology enabler uh, for George Lucas. And what's interesting is that, like, a lot of technology companies, it was then spun out uh, by Steve Jobs uh, and sold by, by Lucasfilm to Steve Jobs. Um and uh, like a lot of technology companies, it started really small with what it could do with computer animation. It made short films. It was trying to push its technology to other film companies. Totally. Uh, and I mean, even before they were making short films, they were they were purely that that RenderMan software on totally. the Pixar animation computer. And the it, it, to your to your point, in starting small, like the ability for hardware to do this sort of thing at the time if you're if you go back and watch the luxo jr or the rotating yep. hand any of the really old pixar animation stuff it's so limited and you can totally see even toy story oh yeah Incredibly I mean, there's no limited. faces in toy story there's no human faces because it was too sophisticated at the time and people just talk punted. about big technology companies starting as toys i mean literally <laughs> pixar didn't start with toy story but their first big hit was toys yeah yeah, I mean the, the the thing we're actually talking about is is there um before the episode is is this just classic low end disruption at play? I mean they're they're um the kind of famous story about uh, John Lasseter is that he came to Pixar um, and to Ed Catmull was sort of this this love for for creating animation and and not the technology of it but the art of what kind of storytelling you could do with it 
and I think I wrote this down. He was actually hired. Uh, Ed Catmull believed in him, but he wasn't allowed to hire animators. He was hired with the the title of interface designer, and no one questioned Catmull's decision. But what John was doing was kind of on the side, exploring the possibility of doing real storytelling in this incredibly limited medium. Totally, and 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 um, I think also if I'm getting my history right. Lasseter started his career at Disney and yeah. was an incredibly yep. passionate Disney employee. It's all he ever wanted to do was be an animator there. And he was fired because he was espousing this new technology, this this computer animation, uh, which people didn't believe would be capable of being part of the Disney way. It's so interesting to think about, you know, th- thinking about what we look at today uh, that we laugh off as like, well, that'll never be good enough. That that tech isn't, I mean, that's that's laughable. How could you ever take that rotating hand and rival the power of Beauty and the Beast with that? You know, actually, Beauty and the Beast, I don't think was out yet, but, you know, Snow White or anything like that. Yep. And and you can totally see how how it just gets incrementally better. It gets better every time. And it's one of those things where you have to check yourself when you're thinking, well, that can't possibly be the future. Like, look at VR today. The screen door yep. effect, the lag, the price tag, like everything about it, you're like, that is impossible there's no way that ever reaches mass market and then like you know uh some of these things die on the vine but really if if um if you're gonna win at some of these things you get in early and it's a matter of time and you you grow with the medium and with the technology and 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 i think the other point as i was thinking about this and and pixar as a technology company is even with the short films but especially with toy story they embrace the limitations of the medium and yet delivered a full solution within it. You know, they didn't skimp on emotional connections within their movies, uh, even when the technology was arguably inferior to both live action and traditional animation. Um, they were able to, l- to deliver incredible emotional experiences. Um, and, I, and I think those are just hallmarks of all technology companies that are operating in new spaces and at the bleeding edge. And it's, it's cool to think about the things that they intentionally did because they would fit well into that medium. I mean, you look at it at toy story or Luxo junior, I mean, these things were basic shapes, a ball where you could easily map a, a, a pattern onto it. That's rolling and the lamp jumps on it. It's, it's because it's so easy to render a sphere and it's, you look at brave. I mean, it took them 25, 30 years to do something like brave where they had to do this fierce, incredible hair or cars where they had, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of vehicles flying around in the background and all this crazy stuff. They just, they knew that, or maybe John knew, that the, the team that was there early knew that the important thing was really communicating that story and picking whatever kind of visual representation they needed to fit the medium to still deliver that complete solution, as you put it. Yep. Um, so that would argue that uh, the technology clearly... A critical part of Pixar, um, C- critical, but um, you know that Pixar was kicking the crap out of DreamWorks. I think that the um, computer animation hadn't become commoditized per se, but they weren't the only ones with it. Yep. Um, so in terms of categorizing this acquisition, so I, I think you know for me as I was thinking about this, I would actually put characterize Pixar best as a business line acquisition for Disney. And the reason I say that is twofold. One, um, it's interesting what Disney did with Pixar and and looking at at that almost as a blueprint with things like what Facebook's done with Instagram and with WhatsApp and with Oculus, they kept it completely separate. 
and this was for the most part driven by driven by the Pixar side of the house. Um, but the studios are in separate locations. Disney Animation is in Southern California. Pixar is in Northern California in the Bay Area. Um, the teams are completely separate. There is no cross pollination on products uh, on projects, with, with the exception with of the exception of the leadership. <laughs> yes, uh, which we can get to in a second. Um, but really, Pixar has remained its own brand and uh, and its own business line, quote unquote, today. So that's that's reason one. Reason number two is uh, I was as I was reading about the acquisition, there's this great story I read um, that supposedly is true that uh, Bob Iger, uh, the CEO of Disney, realized the new CEO of Disney when he acquired uh, when the company acquired Pixar realized that he needed to buy Pixar, with which they had a film distribution deal in the past when um, he was looking at a parade at a Disney theme park and all the characters in the parade, and he realized that the characters that were developed in the past 10 years, none of them were Disney characters. All or almost all of them were Pixar characters. And that's when he realized Pixar needs to be an official, whole, wholly owned part of Disney. Yeah. It is, it is interesting to think about the, the thing that made Pixar special is this really incredible studio thing that they had going that no one else had in, in, in the ability to produce movies. And it wasn't, you know, when they talk about the big studios, there's hits and misses. There's, there's big blockbuster hits that they put lots and lots of money into, and they just miss. And the things that, that Pixar has put out, you know, with the exception of Cars 2, which is not necessarily critically acclaimed, like every single one is a box office hit. Yeah. And nothing Pixar does sees the light of day unless it's wonderful. I mean, there's this emotional connection for kids and adults alike, and it's something where, you know, it, they they have this really intense internal process where I think three or four directors over the course of their history have been fired in the middle of projects. They have this really incredible review of, of um, you know, the, the kind of Pixar brain trust sitting around reviewing uh, milestones and watching early early screenings. They have uh, talent development where if there's a young promising director coming up, they, they do a short first and they kind of prove themselves in the, the mm-hmm. um, super signature uh, shorts that Pixar does. And it's it's this process where, you know, when you think that, I think it's, I don't know if it's Christensen or there's there's a very business school theory of, of um, the fact that the, the, what a business really is, is people, processes, and um, priorities. And that was very, very clear at Pixar. And I think that um, the processes and the priorities had, had just as much to do with the, the acquisition as the people did in this, this case. Absolutely. And then John Lasseter and Ed Catmull, uh, the, the uh, principals at, at Pixar, aside from Steve Jobs, went on to assume control of all of animation within Disney. Um, yeah, and you look at, I mean, the, what, what, <laughs> what Disney elite needed to learn to do was not ship crap i mean truly like only put out really wonderful films and you know they're not to a pixar level yet you, when things have pixar's name on it it's, it's a it's a different level of quality but yep. you know frozen wasn't pixar that was disney i mean that that was disney learning from Lasseter pixar the, yep. the 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 process that they had there and and what you know computer animated joy looked like and uh how uh, we 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 won't name names here. Uh, well, I'm not even going to go to being in Seattle, but uh, um, how much does that sound like technology companies? Right? Don't ship crap. 
Yeah. And when, and when technology companies go wrong, let's use Apple as, you know, a uh, non-controversial example. There were a number of years when, in the in the wilderness when when Apple was shipping crap. Yeah. Um Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have many more episodes about Apple, but um obviously the the Steve Jobs uh thread runs deep in both of these companies. Yep. Um so, Ben, category for you. Oh, it's a business line. I mean, it's it's processes, but it's it's a business line. They're um you know, this is this is not something that they're kind of like co-marketing to the same um, customer segment. This is not a thing where they're having the Pixar people at large work on Disney products. Um, this is something where they have incredible respect for the existing Pixar business and they're keeping it separate. All right. Let's move on to, um, I, th- I think, a very interesting segment of our show, which is what would have happened otherwise? Let's say Disney didn't buy Pixar. Where would we be standing today? Or where would they be standing today? Well, We'd I probably still be right here in Seattle. <laughs> I wouldn't be worried about Pixar. Um, but I, I would be worried about Disney. I think that, uh, you know, Pixar probably wouldn't have grown like it, it has, having um, a distribution into Disney's theme parks and um, a, a much more significant marketing budget behind it. But, um, you know, they they had a they had a passionate, passionate following and that wasn't, there was no small following. I mean, they were grossing over a hundred million dollars each film. Um, well over a hundred million. Yeah, actually I think, I think we three, just looked it up. Three, four hundred million dollars. And, uh, Inside in Out most recent yeah. was, was, uh, well, wait, was, profit or, or gross. It, Inside Out, um, had, had revenues at, I think eight, eight hundred thousand, eight hundred million dollars. Yeah, so Inside Out, which is, I believe still in theaters. I did, uh, Some theaters, yeah. I tried to watch it this weekend on my Apple TV and I couldn't, so it's not on streaming oh, It's in that yet. weird, that is a weird period. So there's like this, this time where no one's allowed to watch it on anything. You know, total aside here, X number of years from now with X being like well less than 10. <laughs> We're going to laugh at that. That is going to be <laughs> ridiculous. Like I was talking with my wife about this the other day. And I was like, you know, when we, we don't have kids yet, but someday hopefully we'll have kids and, you know, they'll become culturally aware at some point, hopefully. And, um, you know, one day we're g- Jenny and I are going to be talking about television and our kids are going to look at us and say, what's television? Yeah. Total aside there. Wild. Um, so Inside Out, uh, which is still not you know run its course has uh grossed in worldwide box office over 800 million dollars had a 175 million dollar production budget so over 600 million dollars in profit wow yeah i mean so there there's there's disney magic there that yep um you know we we can't say that's all pixar but really i think i think disney was a little bit lost um had a new ceo who had a, a clear vision um and i think that um Ah, I'd be a lot more worried about Disney than yep. Pixar. So what I, I'd say about this, um, I two things. I think on the Pixar side, this really is a good example of, um, you know, the actually working in practice the rationale that a lot of uh, leadership teams of acquired companies will say, which often sounds hollow, which is that, going with the acquirer will give you the scale to have an impact at the level much faster and much bigger at a level that you couldn't do standalone. 
that's in so many blog posts totally right <laughs> um but here i think it's really worked you know i mean cars land cars i don't know if, if ben if you've been Haven't to been. disneyland recently i i've been twice i think in the past couple of years all you guys out there if you haven't been to cars land at disneyland in la you gotta go it's amazing i'm booking tickets and and disney spent a billion dollars over a billion dollars creating cars land none of that would have happened if pixar weren't part of disney so that's that's that side and then i think on the disney side what's super interesting is that this kicked off really not just a transformation of disney animation but a whole transformation of how they thought about their ip and their their entire film business so since Pixar in 2006, they then acquired Marvel in 2009. Uh, and you only need look at, you know, the Avengers and Iron Man and Thor and uh, Captain America and all those movies and, and uh, um, arguably uh, um, you know, superhero fad that we've been in recently. But they've made a ton of money from that. Uh, but then Lucasfilm um, a couple of years ago. And uh, I don't know about you, Ben, but I this am December. quite excited about this december did you buy your tickets yet i've not bought my tickets yet <laughs> i you know it's interesting they they really have put together a playbook for how to take a hugely successful franchise with a big following and, and people that grew up on something and just has a special place in people's hearts and really just turn it into a machine i mean you look at the amount of star wars i mean there's, there's obviously seven eight nine but there's there's other films that are coming out there's new video i mean they've totally reinvigorated the franchise and taken the love of that fan base and turned it into something that you know is is um like something it's a, a uniquely disney asset is their ability to amplify a franchise yeah and and what they've done with both marvel and star wars i think that that um disney learned a lot from buying pixar and not well, I don't know how uh, not safe for work we want to make these podcasts, but not... I, I think I think we can't swear, otherwise we will get the iTunes explicit tag. Uh, other okay. than that, well, not you know f bombing up the the creative process in in you know in the process of doing this, and I think that's that's something. Would that have happened without Pixar? Right, like you know, Marvel fans. I'm sure there are plenty out there who would argue that it's you know become too commercial and it's lost the you know whatever but but that would be a small minority i mean the 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 marvel comic book franchises now and movies are at such a better point i i would argue than they were before the acquisition and we'll see what happens with star wars this december um but like what if dicks what if what if what if disney hadn't acquired pixar hadn't gone through that experience would they be equipped to digest marvel and lucasfilm in the same ways yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that that's a, yeah, it, it's not an asset that Pixar had, but Disney trains institutional muscle in learning how to do that successfully. And that's, um, I mean, that that's how you get these sort of one plus one equals three things where it wasn't an asset that either company had, but the process of the acquisition itself forced them to get good at a thing that would determine their future success. All right. I feel like it's time we should wrap up. Overall grade. We're going with A through F here. Disney, Pixar. What's your verdict? Well, David, we had our choice of picking any single acquisition in history of, of in the history of technology to do this. So, um, you know, I'm like looking for reasons not to give it an A, but there's kind of a reason we picked it for our first episode. So, um, 
Thank you for the softball. I'm going to go with A. I'm going to disagree a little bit. Uh-oh. So, and I think this illustrates just how hard M&A is um, overall. You know, it's been 10 years since Disney acquired Pixar. Of course, for all those reasons that we were just talking about, incredibly successful, has transformed Disney in many ways. Um, no brainer that this was a great acquisition by Disney. On the other hand, you look at this financially, they spent $7.5 billion for it. Now, they've probably, when you account for everything, which only the internal teams in Disney can, and even then probably not fully, they've probably made that back, but it's been 10 years. So financially, you know, and I I contrast that with in 2006, um, Facebook was two years old at that point. And now, what's Facebook market cap? I don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So every acquisition is unsuccessful because it does not match the growth of one of the greatest technology companies of all time uh yes (laughs) (laughs) let's track the public markets as an as a i mean like i'm self-justifying myself here why i uh why i'm more excited about being a venture investor (laughs) than i am about being uh working for m&a teams in public companies nothing wrong with working at m&a teams in public companies so i i guess where i'm going is um I would hope that to get an A, this would have to be something would have to be just such a grand slam on all levels that everybody can retire and be career making. And what's interesting is that even this, which is we picked it as the first the first acquisition of our show, you know, this it's hard to get much better than this on all levels. And yet it's not totally clear that this has just turned into an incredible, you know, cash flow decision um as opposed to a you know investment in facebook in 2006 you give it a grade and then i'll make a point <laughs> i'm gonna give it a b plus oh maybe a minus we have we have pluses and minuses guys b plus <laughs> slash a minus um the thing that i think you're not taking into account and you know, I'll, I'll acknowledge my own bias here of being just absolutely enamored with Pixar. Toy Story defining my childhood. I mean, that was my AOL screen name was BJ Lightyear. <laughs> my Going deep it, here. Yeah. Pixar has a very, very deep place in my heart. Um, th- all that said, I think the thing that, that is not factored into the financial decision is, and, and actually we, we, we don't really ever know what it would look like otherwise, but the long-term success and health of Disney. I mean, what would that look like without Pixar? Uh, if, what what does Disney look like twenty years from now without Pixar? Well, and here's a question which we answered in the "What would have happened otherwise?" But um, is there a Pixar Land if yeah. there's not Disney Pixar? Get Cat Mall on the phone. <laughs> All right, with that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a good night, guys.